Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Sunday, March 1st episode of Poets and Muses, where we chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. You can follow us at poetsandmuses.com and on social media via Instagram, SoundCloud, as well as Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. With us today is Elena Hayes, with whom I will be discussing her poem, The Book of Vashti, and my poem, Women's Rage. Before we do that, however, I'm going to go over all the poetry events taking place in the Phoenix metro area during the week of March 2nd. On Monday, March 2nd, from 6 to 8 p.m., Joy Young will be hosting the fifth of her eight From Page to Stage Exploring Spoken Word Workshop at the Phoenix Center for the Arts, which is at 1202 North 3rd Street in Phoenix. From 8 to 10 p.m., Phoenix Firebird Events will be hosting their Open Mic Mondays at Smooth Brew Coffee at 504 East Roosevelt Street in Phoenix. Signing up to get on the mic starts at 7 p.m. On Tuesday, March 3rd, from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m., the Virginia G. Piper Center for Creative Writing will be hosting Austin Davis's book tour launch and open mic at Piper Writer's House at 450 East Tyler Mall in Tempe. From 6 to 8 p.m., Connect and Heal will be hosting their weekly poetry writing workshop in room 101 of the Chandler Community Center, which is at 125 East Commonwealth Avenue in Chandler. From 7 to 10 p.m., Cultivate and Culture and KDIF will be hosting their Growth and Development Open Mic taking place at 6401 South 16th Street in Phoenix. From 7.30 to 9.30, Lexi Lockett will be hosting her monthly Pocket Thoughts Poetry Night featuring Katie Pritchett and Piaz Frobisher. This will take place at Fiddler's Dreams Coffee House at 1702 East Glendale Avenue in Phoenix. On Wednesday, March 4th, from 5 to 10 p.m., Walt Richardson II will be hosting his weekly Walk-In Wednesdays Open Mic Night at Tempe Center for the Arts at 700 West Rio Salado Parkway in Tempe. As always, from 5 to 6, Youth performers will go on, 6 to 10, all other performers will go on. Signing up for the first part starts at 4.45. Signing up for the second part starts at 5 p.m. On Thursday, March 5th, from 6 to 9 p.m., Fatso's Pizza will be hosting its open mic night at 3131 East Thunderbird Road in Phoenix. From 7 to 8.30 p.m., Sozo Coffee House will be hosting its open poetry night at 1982 North Alma School Road in Chandler. From 8 to 11 p.m., Quentin Oni will be hosting his weekly open mic at Jobot Coffee and Bar at 333 East Roosevelt Street in Phoenix. Signing up to get on the mic starts at 7.30 p.m. From 9.45 p.m., Atlas St. Cloud will be hosting his weekly poetry writing workshop at the Welcome Diner at 929 East Pierce Street in Phoenix. On Friday, March 6th, from 6.30 to 9 p.m., Aliento will be hosting his monthly open mic this month with the theme of Nuestro Valor, or Our Worth, at Phoenix Hostel and Cultural Center, which is at 1026 North 9th Street in Phoenix. You can sign up at alientoaz.org forward slash open mic. 
Again, that's alientoaz.org forward slash open mic. Aliento is A-L-I-E-N-T-O. From 7 to 8.30 p.m., Pina Joseph will be hosting her Friday Poetry Open Reading at Changing Hands Bookstore at 6428 South McClintock Drive in Tempe. From 7 to 10 p.m., Rosemary Dombrowski, Sam Wee, and Hunter Hazelton will be hosting their first Friday poetry on Roosevelt Row on the back porch of Local First Arizona, which is at 407 East Roosevelt Street in Phoenix. On Saturday, March 7th, from 6 to 7 p.m., Austin Davis will be hosting his Spring Book Tour reading at the Fair Trade Cafe, which is at 1020 North 1st Street in Phoenix. On Sunday, March 8th, from 6 to 9 p.m., Infuse Open Mic will be taking place at Phoenix Center for the Arts at 1202 North 3rd Street in Phoenix. Signing up to get on the mic starts at 5.30. And now let us turn to our poet guest of the week, Elena Hayes. Hey, Elena, thank you very much for coming on to Poets and Muses. Hey, thank you. So you brought with you the poem, The Book of Vashti? The Book of Vashti, yeah. Great. Um, before we get into it, I would love to hear you Tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, so I graduated from the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, with degrees in English Literature and Women and Gender Studies. Mm-hmm. And I actually moved to this area pretty recently mm-hmm. to be closer to my parents because they retired. So I'm mm-hmm. originally from the Maryland, D.C. area. Okay. I'm Jewish, obviously. <laughs> um, We're very well studied in the Jewish religion. <laughs> I lived abroad last year for a while in Israel where I was working at a cultural center in Haifa. Mm-hmm. And that's all I can really think about for as far as, you know, myself. <laughs> okay, well tell us about this book that you recently published. It's called Eat and it's a collection of mostly poems and a couple of essays that kind of revolve around the idea of like consumption and like satisfaction mm-hmm. in different ways like exploring the idea of whether or not you have something that satisfies you, whether it's in your personal life or dealing with uh, different problems Mm -hmm. or overcoming things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where can we find the book? It's on Kindle. If you go on Amazon, you can just download it to your Kindle. Oh, cool. Yeah. Nice. So if you don't mind reading the poem, then we can talk about it. Call me Vashti. Everyone does. Great-granddaughter of Nebuchadnezzar, the second greatest king Babylon ever saw. Daughter of King Belshazzar, man murdered in his sleep. Kidnapped princess sold in marriage to the son of my father's enemy. My lineage has seen its rise to power and its fall, much like the wall that once was Solomon's temple. Vashti. People spit my name when they speak it as if I am Haman, then forget about me by the end of the story. In your language, I am villain, vixen, vile. I am the constant sin of all womankind, too vain for my own good. This ugly woman with too much makeup on her face and not enough good sense in her head. But in my own tongue, I am wished of Wahishti, most excellent, best of women. I am beautiful. This is the kind of name you give a hero or a martyr, one who died with the words of freedom branded on her body, though this freedom was denied her as my martyrdom was denied me. Instead, I died exiled from my good name, the one you keep twisting. Little girls are still being taught to spit Vashti as if it leaves a bad taste in their mouths, as if I was the one who tried to commit genocide when my only crime was daring to believe I deserved a choice in a world that offered me none. And I get it. 
I am your cautionary tale, because what good is a trophy if you can't strip it down and set it up on display for all to see? Little girls must be taught to obey or risk losing their heads. Don't be bad like Vashti. Good girls say yes. If I say dance, you dance. If I say strip, you strip, and you never say no because you want it if I say you do. Don't be bad like Vashti. You know what happens to bad girls. And my only crime was daring to say no. King Ahashverosh. Haman may have been the villain in Esther's story, but you were the villain in mine. Because you never gave me the chance to grieve the death of my father or the loss of my home. Because you never loved me, only loved taking my freedom. Because someone taught you that women are toys. Something to be collected then thrown out when the novelty wears off. And you, stupid, arrogant king, you believed them. Ahashverosh, you may be a lion, but you lack the kind of heart that's made out of courage. You don't question anything. You accept whatever is convenient for you. And lions may roar, sir, but cats scare easy. So tell me, when you received my no in the middle of your party, how much did you shrink in its presence? How terrified were you of those two little letters? One consonant, one vowel, so casually tossed out into the air, and you couldn't touch them. That's some kind of powerful... You must have been shaking. You must have decided that the only way to stop something this powerful was to kill it before it could spread. You must have thought I stopped being a prize the moment I learned how to speak, but it's funny because that's the moment I thought I started being one. You know, no one is sure how you killed me. Did you have my head served up on a silver platter? Did your excessive drinking lead to my demise? I hear so many conflicting stories. Maybe your anger and your fists were just a little too loose that night. Maybe it's my fault for being a bad wife. Maybe you should pray, Achashverosh, that they don't remember my name and pull me out of exile with it, that they don't write the story down, that no one ever feels the need to drown out the horror of your name, Achashverosh, great warrior or wife killer, king or coward, the way they do with Haman. And I hope you spin in your grave when they do. I hope the afterlife is cruel. I hope your rest isn't peaceful. I hope you pay. May you know what it's like to spend the rest of eternity exiled from your own name. Thank you. Powerful, powerful poem. One thing I forgot to ask you was, how did you come to write poetry? So I used to write poetry a lot in like middle school and high school, you know, like kind of the angsty stuff that a lot of teenagers mm-hmm. write. And I then- still write them. I still do too but I gave it up after a while because then I remember after high school I looked at them one day and I was just like so embarrassed (laughs) that I ever wrote any of it that I threw it all away and and then I stopped doing it for a long time a couple years into college I started dating this guy that I had been friends with Mm -hmm. for a while and he was really into poetry and he started mm-hmm. taking me to open mics and then I just kind of fell in love with like spoken word mm. and then I started writing again. Oh, cool. Yeah. And here I am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Different, different ways of going into poetry and going back to poetry. Yeah. Yeah. If you hear the show often, then you also hear a lot of people have meandering ways of getting into it. Mm-hmm. And I guess your English lit degree had something to do with it or nothing to do with it mostly with my english lit degree i focused in on uh, medieval literature so that doesn't have a lot to do with poetry before i went into that i was very into victorian literature and 
because that's right up against the romanticism and everything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's a lot of poetry that's really important to that time period. Mm -hmm. So I guess, like, I always loved poetry. I never stopped loving it. I just stopped writing it for a while. And then when I found spoken word, I realized that was it for me. Right. Cool. Did you compete a lot when you were... Never, actually. I think I've done exactly one competition and I didn't win. I actually did this poem. Oh, cool. Uh, And that's it. Okay. Okay. It's tough, right? Uh, I talk about this a lot in the podcast in terms of going into slam, especially with poetry that's very personal in nature. Mm-hmm. I mean, even though this is a more uh, biblical tale, yeah, <laughs> Torah. How do you say like the possessive of Torah? Is it Taurus? Torian? <laughs> I guess it would just be Torahs. Torah's uh-huh. tale. It sounds weird. It sounds like a person. It does. I don't know. I say it that way. I've only ever heard Torah or Torahs. I don't know if there's another way to do it. There probably is because I'm pretty sure Torah is a Hebrew word. Oh, I'm pretty sure, okay. but I don't know the plural. Maybe plural. I feel like somebody who speaks Hebrew is going to listen to this and be like, they're so wrong. Well, you know, <laughs> hey, if you listen to this, you think we're wrong, write in. Because there is a love to hear My feedback. My Hebrew is really bad, so I can't it's say okay. for sure. It's okay. Speaking of medieval literature, I heard something, I mean, the, you had reference head on the platter because I, I looked up Vashti mm-hmm. after listening to your poem, and there was really not, no information about how she died. Yeah, and that's part of the reason that I wrote it the way I wrote it, because the story of Esther, the book of Esther, is fictitious. It's a myth. Mm. There is, like, truth to it, like, Achashverosh, I believe he, they're pretty sure he was based on King Xerxes II. Vashti was, was based on that king's wife. The name Xerxes means lion. And when I was doing my research for the poem, like that's why I called him a lion later on. Ah, okay. One of the reasons why I mentioned medieval literature, because medieval literature tends to invoke John the Baptist a lot. And that's you true. had that imagery of the head on a silver platter and the fact that we don't really know how she... Yeah, that's actually a good point. I hadn't thought about that, to be honest, when I wrote it. But so part of the reason I did that, the way I did it, is because there are versions of the story where she's beheaded and then Mm. her head is presented to him. Mm. And then there are also versions where she's, like, exiled. I think that's the more kid-friendly version, (laughs) which is kind of, like, why I also involved that whole theme of exile with her name. Right. It's one of the reasons. But Well, also, her name is not... It is B, even currently, if you don't read into the feminist interpretation of the story it mm-hmm. is still exile as you yeah. said the little girl spitting out her name yeah and then also part of the reason I chose to do that with her name was because in the holiday of Purim and in the story of Esther Haman who is the bad guy in mm-hmm. Esther's story the whole idea is every time that you say his name you're supposed to make a lot of noise to drown out his name because it's evil so you're mm-hmm. kind of distancing him from his own name right, right so I wanted to like keep that theme in my poem as well yeah with Vashti because I feel like both Haman and Vashti are treated like bad guys in the story Mm -hmm. but Vashti's reputation as a bad guy is kind of undeserved right do you mind giving the listeners a synopsis of the story because I don't think most people know the book of Esther yeah or actually the the story of Vashti which is probably much bigger than the book of Esther or no smaller than the book of Esther well I'll just tell them really briefly what Esther's story is and then Vashti's so the Book of Esther is about the kingdom of Persia. There's It starts off with Ahasuerus, the king, who's married to Vashti. He throws this big party. He wants his, wants her to dance naked for him and his friends because they're all drunk. And she says no. And there are a lot of different versions as to why she says no. But ultimately, because she says no, she's killed. Mm-hmm. And then the king holds a contest to find his new queen. And Esther ends up being that queen and saving all the Jews of Persia from being 
killed by Haman, who is the bad guy in her story. Mm-hmm. But that story never really uh, goes into depth of like what happened to Vashtar, how she even ended up being queen in the first place, mm-hmm. or what her life was like. She's just this terrible wife who says no to her husband, so she has to be killed. So <laughs> <laughs> I decided to try to research her a little bit because she is becoming kind of like a feminist icon for Jewish women, mm-hmm. especially now. Obviously, she's not a real person, but she's based on real people and she's based on real things. And there are a lot of texts that you know, talk about the story of Purim. So if you go back to the Midrash, which is from the Middle Ages, mm-hmm. she has a bit of a lineage that's kind of addressed in the Midrash, which I added to the beginning of my poem. Like, okay. she's the daughter of a king and who was murdered, and then her great-grandfather was, like, the greatest king of Persia or something. Mm-hmm. So that's how she ends up being queen. Mm-hmm. But we never really, like, learned too much about her. And I think the point of my poem was not only to, like, address relevant like current issues with an old story but also right. to like give a voice and a story to someone who never had one mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and what made you decide to write this particular poem so at the time i was still in school i remember the exact day that the idea for the poem popped into my head i was work. it was like a couple years ago i was working at the jewish museum of maryland which is in baltimore mm-hmm. i was a tour guide there and an educator so like i'd give tours i'd also work in the back offices like doing research and stuff mm-hmm. And I was sitting in the back office and they have this big poster of the story of porn that's like literally right above where my computer is. So I was like looking up at it one day because I think I just finished whatever I was working on and I was a little bored. (laughs) (laughs) At this time, I was also working in another like Jewish nonprofit organization that um, put on a women's group called Rosh Kodesh. And we had just talked about Vashti and uh, Esther and the whole story of Mm Purim and how Vashti is kind of like an unsung hero in her own way. Mm -hmm. And I was, like, sitting there, and I just kind of, like, had a light bulb moment. Like, I just had something to say about her, and I just started writing it. Like, I just, like, jotted down something real quick before I went on to, like, do my next task at work. Mm -hmm. And then I remember, like, trying to get home so I could, like, sit down with my notebook and, like, do some research on the computer. And Mm -hmm. then, like, a few days later, I had this poem. Wow. wow. Well, you have mentioned that when you read this, when I met you, that this is about domestic violence. Were you thinking of anything contemporary or were you just looking at the analysis of her own story? Well, I think if you put her story in context of like contemporary issues, it speaks a lot towards rape culture in America mm-hmm. and the idea of consent. Like this is a woman who was killed because she didn't want to walk around naked in front of a bunch of men, even though her husband told her she had to. Right. So I feel like that's very relatable in the sense of, like, women being taken advantage of if they're drunk mm-hmm. or in other, like, instances. Like, we hear it all the time on the news, like, this woman was raped here or there, and then the guy gets off because, right. you know, it's her fault that she did it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, it's her fault because she was drunk, or it's her fault because she was wearing a dress, and it's Vashti's fault because she's supposed to listen to, listen to her husband. Right, yeah, so, that's I, the traditional version of the story, right? She's yeah. a bad queen because she yeah. didn't listen to her husband. Exactly, and I also, I think when I was thinking about the poem, I was thinking about, like, when I was little and I used to be in Hebrew school, and we do, like, celebrations for poor, and we put on a play. Mm-hmm. And I remember one year being stuck with the character of Vashti, and I didn't want to be Vashti because she was the bad queen. And I remember, <laughs> like, thinking back to that, and it's something that we kind of instill in girls at a very young age. Mm-hmm. It's like, you don't want to be this person because this person doesn't obey her husband, so she's not good. <laughs> she's ugly and bad. And I guess I was just thinking about all of that, and I just felt like she was wronged, and like that portrayal of women is really toxic to all girls, including mm-hmm. me, and I just wanted to do something about it. Okay, cool. 
when I was reading up of her story, I saw that quite a few poets have addressed her story as well, and it's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Did you look at those when you were writing yours? No, actually. So I wrote this poem kind of towards the beginning of like me re-getting into poetry. Uh-huh. So I wasn't very aware of that many, like, modern poets at the time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So a lot of it I found after the fact. Like, after I went to open mics and I started performing it, and then I'd have people be like, oh, you should read this, or you should read this book because it really relates to your poem, or you should look at this poet because it really relates to what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, oh, this is great. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. She's been apparently the, the muse to several poets as well as other artists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like she's, just like I was saying before, she's really become like a big feminist icon for Jewish women. Yeah. Because yeah. a lot of people are looking at that story now and realizing vilifying her doesn't make any sense. Right. Well, and not just now, not just in our time, but before that, in, you know, because her story is quite old. Mm-hmm. So for women throughout history who, where Bible is both Old Testament and the New Testament, have been the sort of the elementary level of, of education for them. A lot of strong women have questioned throughout history, why was she considered bad? Yeah, and they tried to make different arguments for why she's bad over the years. Like, there are some versions of the poem story where Vashti is turned into, like, this anti-Semitic, yeah. kind of, like, anti-hero figure, but that's not how the original story was. That was just, mm-hmm. like, a way of making it okay to vilify her. Yeah, there there is that xenophobic element to it, right? Yeah. It's saying that, oh, she's a person and, and she was trying to... Yeah, but see, that's, like, added in later as, like, a way to justify yeah. making her the villain. Yeah, yeah. Which I don't agree with. <laughs> no, yeah, that's the thing. A lot of history is done that way as well. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, and now we look at it this in this way that's convenient for our conscience. So. Mm-hmm like that so i found the story incredibly interesting i really appreciate you reading it so you know through you i found out about her because yeah. i'm not as familiar with any of the testaments <laughs> i mean writing about her forced me to become more familiar with it too like when i had the idea i didn't know nearly as much about her mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. i learned by writing the poem right right yeah. like what sources did you consult I mostly, like, did Google searching, and then, like I said, I was working for a couple of organizations at the time, Mm -hmm. so I would talk to different people and just make sure I had my story straight, (laughs) because I remember when I was Google searching, I got really confused at first because I was looking around, and like we talked about before, there's so many different versions of her story and just the story in general that I just kind of, like, didn't even know where to go with it, and then I would sit down and talk to you like I knew a couple of girls actually who were Persian mm-hmm. and the word like voiced up what you see I was like asking them how to pronounce it mm-hmm. and I was like double checking with them like if they knew that's what it meant like because I think I found them at that like the words originally on Wikipedia which mm-hmm. Wikipedia can be a good place to start but it's not always yes. the most reliable yes. source of information <laughs> it's a good place to start and maybe get some questions so yeah. I, I started with searching around the internet and then I moved on to like real people that I figured knew the information well enough they could help me like my boss at my one job at the time was actually a rabbi okay so I talked to him about it Mm -hmm. and just different stuff like that okay wow cool did he point you to some good sources as well nice Nice. I don't even remember all the books he gave me like a whole list I don't (laughs) even think I went through the whole list yeah. Well, I don't think a lot of people realize that when you write poetry, as you write anything, you know, especially when you want to tackle certain 
cultural mm-hmm. historical elements. You really do need to do your research. Yeah, the best source, I think, for Vashti's story is the Midrash. Mm-hmm. Because that's the one where you're going to get the most information on her. But in general, it's hard with, like, with stories that are more myth than reality. It's really hard to, like, nail down, yeah. like, exact facts because there aren't any. Right, right. I mean, Josh is the book that, is it the book that's read during Purim? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, Josh is different from the Book of Esther. Midrash is the book. Well, yeah, it's the Book of Esther. Okay, so that's. Yeah, I think it might have a little more. I haven't read it in full, so. Okay. Uh, but it might have a little more to it, but it's essentially okay. the same thing. Yeah. It's interesting. How many times have you performed it now? This poem, not that many times. <laughs> when I was still living on the East Coast, right before I moved to Israel, I was working like three different jobs in three <laughs> different cities, and I was still going to school at the same time. Wow. And I was going to school in a different city than all the other places I was working. So I would jump between like Annapolis, DC, Baltimore, and Columbia uh-huh. for all of this stuff. And so I'd be spending hours at a time in my car. So whenever mm-hmm. I wrote a poem, like any poem, including Bashi, I would like spend so much time like practicing it in the car until I had it memorized. Oh, nice. Because I had all this free time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's what I did with it. When I perform it, I still mess up. Sometimes, like, mm-hmm. the last time I performed before you saw it, because mm-hmm. I get so nervous sometimes. I was on stage, mm-hmm. and I was so nervous, and I knew the poem, but I got up there, and I, like, stumbled my way through the whole thing. Right. It was so bad. Like, everyone was so nice about it. Uh, it, was, it was bad. Oh, it's so <laughs> uh, Yeah, I know. Sometimes... I'm, I'm used to getting on stage, um, but once in a while, I don't know why, like last month yeah. I was on stage and I was like, why am I frightened? I don't understand this. Yeah, sometimes I get on stage and it's really easy and I'm just like, I got this. And then yeah. sometimes I get up there and I'm like shaking. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's really strange, right? Yeah. How long ago did you write this? It's been like two or three years, but I didn't really do any open mic performances when I was living abroad. Oh, okay. so that was a year of no performing poetry. Right, but there um, must have been open mm-hmm. mics in Haifa. I mean. I mean, there are. So there was like a little place I used to go to. It was like an art gallery, and they'd be open at night to do like music jams, and I'd go there and sing sometimes. Mm-hmm. But there, I never really found like a place that was easy to access all the time right. to go do open mics. So I just never did it. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, speaking of singing, you have an amazing singing voice. Oh, um, thank you. What's, what's the story with that tell us? The story of my singing voice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it a sounds, short story. <laughs> it sounds practice, so. I did chorus in middle school. I did musical theater for a really brief time in high school, and that's about it. Oh, okay, okay. You have a very beautiful, strong thank voice. Thank you. You hit all the notes, as far as I could tell, because I didn't know the song. Well, I made up the song, so. Oh, wonderful. Then yeah. you hit all the notes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wrote that song that you heard for my mom. I'm actually oh. currently trying to, like, I have a friend who lives in New York who plays piano. I don't play any instruments. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to get more into, like, lyric writing, too. Oh, nice. And she's been trying to help me, like, put, like, my songs together, like, um, with an actual instrument in the background. I'm trying to find someone in this area who might be able to help me because I would like to eventually like write and make some of my own songs oh cool yeah well uh, there's a lot of musicians I mean even on this podcast there's Mm -hmm. a lot of poets who are also musicians that you can access and like the open mics that I talk about a lot of them Mm -hmm. yeah a lot of them accept 
musicians as well so you'll find them yeah that's definitely one of my goals like as I get more involved in the community here is to find yeah. a musician to yeah. help me. and there's so many things going on I mean just like just on poetry itself yeah there's so many things going on yeah when I read them sometimes I'm just like oh my god yeah why, why does everybody pick that particular favorite day yeah I remember when I was listening to one of your podcasts you were like listing out all the things that were happening that week and I'm just like oh my god yeah yeah it's insane I think every day um there was something like multiple things going on mm-hmm. basically everybody tries to cram everything into the winter months yeah because it's hot during the summer yeah the summer people just sort of hide yeah that makes sense I understand that I've been there yeah um well I pretty much picked my poem when I heard your poem I was like yeah yeah I want to read that I really liked your poem when you performed it I liked it like I didn't remember everything into like all the parts I really remember the ending when you were performing it like Mm -hmm. it stood out to me a lot and then when I was rereading it I was just like yeah the ending is great (laughs) thank you thank you and I forgot the name of my own poem. Yeah, women's know. Rage? Is that what it is? Yes, Women's Rage. Yeah. I forget that. Yes. <laughs> so I'll read that. Whispered in a hush-hush, lest society's judgment glower, deems this unseemly. This is not within your assigned perimeter. The propaganda wags its disapproving finger. Men don't cry and women don't shout. But I scream. I scream every day from blinding rage while afraid of the powers that committed us to institutions as cases not worth the investigation. Exposed to dangers they cannot see, therefore must be non-existent, therefore we must be wrong to insist for our safety or even the feeling of safety. You must defend yourself with grace. Now that you've issued male guardianship, we still expect the utmost dignity from all of our ladies. Ladies, a curse word if I've ever heard one, from a firm believing the portrayal of female perpetrated violence in her own self-defense so vile that a show that teases the nuance of this subject must be permanently cancelled, but never pulls funding from superhero or male action movies with men needing to exact extravagant vengeance over the death of their families. See how they care for us by the death toll in their wake. Ladies killed, raped, and tortured to motivate heroic murders by our men, also our killers, not to be mentioned in the same breath. Everyone saw it coming, but those maintaining the appearance, our reality has no relevance to their illusions. Those whose destruction is sanctioned violate societal norms. She betrayed, she strayed, she desired too much, she cared too little. There are always reasons a ready font to be tapped, but he we forgive. To whom we must open our hearts on a post, trained to accept our violation, where there are no excuses we must learn to invent in our minds. That must be the limit of our ambition. Behind every great man is a great woman. See how we've been appreciated so long as we stayed behind and dare not reach for equal partnerships. Let him shine. Let him get all the credit. If he offers us praise, if he offers acknowledgement of our sacrifice, we must quiver in gratitude. We must call him progressive, our minds colonized for eternal bondage. So... What inspired you to write that poem? To tell you the truth, I can't remember, even though I wrote it recently, because I've been writing these sort of poems a lot 
-hmm. not just because of me too but also because i also went through trauma assault and subsequently all of these people trying to excuse the perpetrators actions and also trying simultaneously trying to blame me for what happened even though because i'm familiar with these cases previously my mind was saying no fuck that still it takes a toll and it's like you're being gaslit Mm -hmm. and and this is all happening while the weinstein case is happening so it's it's just a time where i'm like there's this incongruency of on the one hand, there's this progressive movement that's like a tidal wave that's taking place. On the other hand, there are these people who are still using the old excuses. And speaking of old excuses, one of the things that I find incredibly aggravating is people saying, oh, the times are changing as if somehow men were all just rapists throughout time until we hit 2017. You know, it's, it's yeah. just like... Or like women were never mad before now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, there's just like all kinds of, oh, why did you do this? Why did you do that? But people always have the benefit of hindsight and not being in the situation mm-hmm. and not wanting to make the effort of trying to understand. So that's sort of the main driving force. I was in Uganda at the time when I wrote this particular poem. Yeah, I I went to Uganda to um, interview poets. Oh, wow. And some of the culture is very male-dominated. And also, I ran into some people from Asian cultures who were very traditional in their outlook. Again, it's not fair to say traditional because there are plenty of people, men and women, who do not condone this sort of thing. But they were also gaslighting on things that were happening, uh, not in this particular vein, but still, with just the gaslighting aspect of it. It's people trying to make you lower your standards more for their benefit than mm-hmm. anything else. It put me back in a, a very, like, mentally in that traumatic state again, and I felt like all the psychological work I was doing to heal was sort of being unraveled by all these gaslighting events and yeah. that was taking place. So I wrote several poems around this particular subject. And this one, there was a show, it's called Dialand. It was on for one season. And it's about this woman who would work for a fashion magazine, but her body type did not fit that typical image. So she was never in front of any cameras or anything like that. And she herself has body image issues, and she was trying to earn enough money to get herself the surgery. In the meantime, sort of the fictional Me Too was happening in that world as well. And there was a militant women's group who decided to start just, like, taking matters into their own hands and started killing the men. And it was very interesting because of how I was feeling at the time. While I wasn't condoning the violence, I thought it was interesting to explore the idea of that and explore how they were being viewed Mm -hmm. doing these things Mm -hmm. and and the betrayal and the dynamics and the privileges of different classes and races of women within that show dynamic and it was starting to become incredibly interesting because there were both racial and classes dynamics going on and a lot of intersectionality mm-hmm. going on that they were exploring that I thought would make an incredible second season but that show got canceled 
And I also like watching superhero movies at the same time. Yeah. I also look at them as something that basically reinforces a lot of societal stereotypes. Mm -hmm. And they also tend to tell the same stories all over and over again. Have you seen, uh, sorry, have you seen Endgame? Yes, I have. I have such problems with that. When I just talk about it. (laughs) Yeah, your poem made me think of it because the part you're talking about how, like, they go, like, on, like, a vengeance spree, like, for their families and stuff. It made me think of how, like, Black Widow died and then, what's his name? I don't even care about him. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) He, like, you know, he turns into, like, the bad guy because his family's gone. He's all brooding. And I was just like, yeah, that you nailed it. I actually wrote a poem about that. Oh. So your poem made me think about that. Yeah, right. And I was so pissed that she died because yeah, she's the only female character. And the, and the she reason... She was original. She was the original like female character in that group. And they killed her off. Yeah, and and also she, she fits into this type where she cannot have children. And even when she was fighting with him to be sacrificed, the excuse was, oh, you have a family yeah. or things like that. And I'm like, uh, you can have a family too adoption yeah it's like she kind of has a family anyway she has like all of the, you know the whole team that she's part of yeah it's like, how do you define family why is his life worth more than hers yeah and it really it really bothered me that bothered they me decided too. to kill her off and yeah. your poem made me think about that movie a lot <laughs> <laughs> and i was also thinking of john wick movies and i also noticed yeah, over true. the years that male actors of a certain age start doing action movies. Yeah. Like, when they hit 50, they it's, have to do action It's movies. like a typecasting thing. It's like they're not pretty and young enough anymore for, like, the romantic comedies. So yeah. now they have to be, like, the tough guys. Yeah, it's for, like, male actor Hollywood way of fighting male aging or something. Yeah. You know, it's like, we're gonna go out fighting and until, at the Expendables, it's sort of like yeah. such a, like a caricature of exactly that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's like, for God's sakes, it's interesting because it's not talked about on the surface because men worry about aging as much as women do, but women, in a way, women are allowed to worry about aging, which is sort of nice, but at the same time, we're also not allowed to show age. Well, I think the thing, yes, both men and women worry about it, but from what I can tell, at least, like, the problem with aging as a woman is the older you get, the more invisible you become as far as, like, media goes and, like, yeah. representation. Like, yeah. you just, you don't have that anymore. Yeah, and they, they sort of push you out of the Yeah, line. it's like, as you get older, you stop existing, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think a lot of female actresses talk about that. I think now that we're talking about it, society is talking about it you see more commercials that have age-appropriate women like it's always funny to see a 20 year old pushing anti-age cream serums yeah my mom always points it out like whenever they come up on tv and she's just like oh yeah she looks like she's barely 30 (laughs) (laughs) yeah again it's sort of these societally condoned ways that women and men can fight aging you know Mm -hmm. it's like you must do it this way and men you must come out and start killing people yeah i think the biggest thing like the superhero type movies or those action movies 
do is they kind of reinforce this idea that, like, as a man, in order to deal with any kind of grief, because most of those situations, like, the guy always, like, lost his family or his wife or something. Yeah, yeah. It's like they have to go out and kill people and be, like, tough and bury their feelings mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. anger. Whereas, like, if you put a woman in that position in the reverse situation, she wouldn't be running around, like, killing people and, like, being tough and angry. She'd probably be crying. Yeah, <laughs> and they wouldn't accept it. They, they yeah. would not accept it as an excuse to act out, yeah. even though certain it women reinforces, do do I think action movies reinforce, like, gender stereotypes. Because yeah. you don't see women doing... Even when you see action movies with women, you don't see them doing those types of things. Like, their motive, that is never their motivation. It's like, oh, my husband and family are gone, therefore I must kill everybody. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> there are now, especially movie that, you know, you hear was originally written for a man, but then they stuck a woman in the role... Then there are similar stories there are now. But before, when women get angry, it's because somebody was messing with her baby or, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's a different, it's like women can only get angry if people are coming after her Mm -hmm. children or something. There are certain prescribed, you know, parameters. Yeah. And this is... I'm just like, no, we we are angry all the time. Yeah. We are not allowed to show it because society keeps, and that's both men and women, tell us it's not okay to show uh, our feelings in this way. This is a particular path, expression of feelings that we're not allowed to have. Yeah. And, of course, I also talked about the institutions, the institutionalization of women, which is still happening, is that the fastest way that men or society tends to dismiss women is to tell her she's crazy. Yeah, I, I've written stuff about that. I don't like that. Yeah. That, that's like something that really, really bothers me. It's like whenever someone makes you feel like you're crazy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We only do that to women. I don't understand it. I wrote another poem called Pandora's like Pythos. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's kind of like in the similar vein to like the Book of Ashti where I was mm-hmm. talking about like this whole idea of like calling women crazy in order to kind of dismiss them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It is that. It, again, it goes back to the very old stereotype of thinking somehow women's minds are not as equal to yeah. the past of men's minds. Whereas I'm like, are you kidding me? If you need women to be responsible for your behavior, if you cannot help what your body, what your extremities will do when you're in front of a woman, then you're the one who should stay home who should never be allowed to go anywhere in yeah. public because obviously you have self-control issues. We are always cast in this role of mother, you yeah. know, not just to our own actual children, but to the men in our lives. Yeah. We have to take responsibility for everyone. Yeah, which is like, no. I mean, why Why is there our responsibility? And, and at the same time, we're not being recognized for those responsibilities mm-hmm. we're we're told that we are not good enough. Yeah, and then when someone else does something that affects us, we're blamed for it. Yeah. So we take all the negative impact of the responsibility, but none of the positive impact. Right, it. right. It's not like nobody pats you on the back for, you know, like... Yeah. <laughs> no one says, good job not, like, getting raped tonight, but, like, as soon as it happens, it's like, it's all your fault. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you did not do this perfectly. Yeah. And everybody who comes in contact with you who says that has a different standard of what is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> it's really bad. Yeah. So I was just so frustrated. And similar to yours as well in terms of the, the domestic violence, so little triggers that there's such a low threshold to a society accepting how women are being killed. Yeah. And it's just too common. Yeah. It, it's 
It's terrifying. <laughs> it is really terrifying because it happens all the time. Yeah. I mean, just most recently there was a woman in India who was a uh, gang rape victim on the way to the court to testify. The guy who raped her, one of the guys who raped her, who was able to get bail, led a whole bunch of other people to basically put gasoline on her, burn her to death. Mm-hmm. And then she had to walk more than something like two kilometers, which is mm-hmm. more than a mile. And nobody helped her. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. So I remember, well, because I used to live near D.C., like, watching the news in that area. I remember seeing on the news one time this guy who, like, stabbed a woman on the metro because she turned down his advances. <laughs> or there was this guy who, like, I guess it was early morning, and he was driving on the road, and this other one was driving in her own car. He ran her off the road so that he could sexually assault her. Oh, my God. So, like, terrible things happen, and it's just so common that it happens to women. It's concerning. Yeah, and people in authority positions do not take it seriously. Mm-hmm. And that's why a lot of the times there are no rules that help women that help to remedy these gender-based violence problems mm-hmm. when they are still smaller problems uh, until you know people are killed. So many domestic violence-related murders are the result of repeated harassment yeah. and escalation, and that could have been stopped mm-hmm. if the authorities would have stepped in to do something, but they refused to. I mean, a few decades ago, it used to be, oh, because it's your family's problem, we don't take care of it. Now it's sort of like, oh, you didn't do enough. It's like, it's like the police is just waiting for you to actually be maimed before they actually do anything. And it's yeah. horrifying. At the same time, I mean, you hear about all these police killings of unarmed people of color, and you're like, oh, so you understand this, you concern for your safety thing, right? You use that, you kill you kill people. Yeah, well, they're using power to their advantage. And the other problem, I feel like, with our like system, our justice system, is that we're not proactive, we're reactive. So mm-hmm. we don't, the way it's set up, we don't do anything until after the fact because we react to it. We don't prevent it, we just wait for it to happen, and then we're like, okay, now we will persecute you. <laughs> right, right. And, and the problem is not... People use the excuse of, oh, we assume innocence until proven guilty. But I think people fall back on that and they use that as a leverage rather than actually believing in the principle of it. Mm -hmm. Because especially dealing with sexual violence or domestic violence, just because they say, oh, we assume somebody's innocent until it's guilty, yet they assume the woman is lying until... She's proven not to be lying, which is like, no, it's not one or the other. It's not like you're saying you believe in the person who says, oh, I didn't assault anybody. And therefore, you must think the person who's saying she was assaulted is lying. You have to believe that there's just no conclusive outcome in either way. And yet, somehow people just don't have the like mental capacity or something or they don't think of it that way or even when because a lot of those kinds of cases get thrown out Mm -hmm. especially when you get into like people who are more powerful like men in politics and stuff when those cases get tossed out they're like and 
I remember having a conversation with someone, they're like, I'm inclined to agree with this man because they said that she did, that he didn't do it, and it was thrown out. I think people discount the fact that when a woman comes out saying something happened to her, she's kind of, in a sense, re-victimizing herself because she's opening herself up to all the people that are going to, like, attack her, and, you know, they're going to attack her credibility, they're going to attack her character, everything. Mm -hmm. Nobody takes into account that even if she doesn't get her case pushed through and nobody, you know, convicts this man, they don't take into account that she's just opened herself up to pain again. Yeah, and also just retelling the story is very painful because you put yourself in that time again. Mm -hmm. And the telling of what happened is not just words coming out of your mouth, but the reliving of those emotions, the fear, Mm -hmm. the the vulnerability, all of those things, you know, the anxiety. And also the anxiety on top of that of not being believed. Yeah. Which I found, at least like during my case, that that is always the case. And sometimes I have to now, I've had that experience. I have to distance myself and always kind of prepare myself to not be believed, which Mm -hmm. is kind of insane because... In that sense, just by default, you're not getting equal protection. Mm-hmm. And that's very problematic for society when just the expectation is so different. You know, mm-hmm. like we seem to live in different worlds. Yeah. Um, I studied like women gender studies. I remember mm-hmm. being in a class one time where we had we were talking about women in like reference to like the law and justice. And we had to split up into groups and we had to come up with like an Uber type service. Like, mm-hmm. a, like a fake one that would be specifically designed to make women feel safe. And I remember sitting down in this group, there was, like, one guy there. And it was, like, me, another girl, maybe two other girls and a guy. And the guy was like, I don't think the first thing a woman thinks about when she gets into a car is whether or not her Uber driver is going to, like, assault her or something. And this girl and I, like, made eye contact across the table. We're like, that's the first thing she thinks about. <laughs> that's definitely the first thing. It's like, that's the first thing she thinks about before she walks out her door to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing, is always, will this person who I encounter, will this person do something that's inappropriate, you know? Yeah, um, but it shows, like, these whole two different worlds that, like, men and women are on. Like, this guy over here has no clue, and we're like, yes, that's the first thing we think about when we wake up in the morning and we open our door and we go anywhere. Yeah, (laughs) and that's, again, a societal level problem because there's not enough protection. Mm -hmm. Now we have to take upon ourselves to protect ourselves and so we have to be hyper vigilant mm-hmm. and that's not exactly helpful in terms of having good interpersonal relationships yeah it's, you know you're always reserving something mm-hmm. and guys don't think of that and they just think oh but i want your number why don't you give me a number yeah. why you know I'm, I'm such a nice guy and you know, the, that's one of the things that guys say that always gets to me. It's like, but I'm such a nice guy. I'm like, yeah, if you're like saying that. that, you're probably not. Yeah. <laughs> or I love it. Like, why don't you just come over? I'm like, no, I'm good. Don't know you that well. Let's meet publicly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Especially with long- online dating, mm-hmm. right? It's uh, it's a lot of, if you have alarm bells or even, like, wind chimes going in your, off in your head, you're kind of like, I'm just going to be on the safe side on this because I know if something happens, most likely I'm not going to get remedy for it. Mm-hmm. And so if, guys, if you feel frustrated, this is why. And this is why you should be, you know, advocating for equal rights laws. Mm-hmm. This is why the equal rights amendment should be passed. Mm-hmm. Because 
uh, unfortunately, we are second-class citizens, so we are not treated equal. And it's very intersectional as well. And transgender women, especially transgender women of color, face so much more violence than other cisgender women of different colors. It's just like so frustrating to be encountering this, even though I know we probably always say things like, but it's 2019, but it's not linear. Mm -hmm. Progression is not, unfortunately, linear. A lot of times with progression, like if you look at history, it's like you get a lot of setbacks. Like you move forward, then you go back like 10 steps, and then you move forward again later. Yeah. It takes a long time. It's really easy to go backwards. It's really hard to go forwards. Yeah. And I, I feel like that's because ignorance is... Uh, default. Mm-hmm. We are born ignorant. We do not have transgenerational memory. We don't basically build on the memory of our previous ancestors. Yeah. So we have to learn anew, and that just opened up a lot of possibilities for things going terribly wrong. <laughs> I also think a lot of it is fear. Like when things start to move forward and people in power start to fear losing a certain amount of power, they push back. Right. And um, they tend to push back hard when they do that. Yes. And and that makes you think, what exactly are you protecting? You Your know? own self-interest. Yeah. And, of course, they will never come out and say, I support my ability to grow women whenever the heck I feel like it. But that is what they're That's protecting. That's basically what it is. Yeah. 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 And they keep saying, this is, you know, oh, you're not being fair. You're assuming guilt. We're like, no, we're just being careful. Yeah, it's like it's not fair that I have to always be concerned that the person I'm about to run into might be someone who can hurt me. Yeah. Like every single person. Yeah. That's not fair either, but I have to deal with it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately. So it's like, yes, it's not fair to always assume that every man you run into is going to be guilty of doing something that might hurt you, but it's also not fair that I have to worry about that. So yeah, and it's not fair that if something happens, there's no remedy for it, yeah. or I have to fight so much harder for the remedy. Mm-hmm. And because of that, we have to be so much more careful about prevention. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you're going to have to deal with it. And, and for men to cry about this, oh, like you never did get a date anymore. Hey, you know, this is the kind of change your approach. (laughs) Yeah, change your approach and also change the laws Mm -hmm. so that we can feel more comfortable about taking reasonable risks. Yeah. Because now it's always like, oh, she's at fault. That's why I was listing these things that are total opposites. You know, Mm -hmm. she cared too much, she cared too little. The goalposts forever moves, mm-hmm. even within the person who's demanding it, within mm-hmm. one person who's demanding it. And I agree with that. What can we do with that? I don't know. Uh, anyway. I wanted to also ask you, do you watch comedy at all? I do. Have you seen anything with Michelle Wolf? I love her. So your part about the ladies, like how that's kind of like a bad word, how it kind of keeps, you know, us yeah. contained, made me think of Michelle Wolf. Like, have you seen her new Netflix special? No, I haven't. She kind of talks about that a little bit in her shows. Like when I was reading it, I had just watched the special oh, right when I was reading your poem. She was going on about how, oh, we don't do that because we're ladies. And then you were saying the whole thing about ladies. And it's just like, yeah, ladies, like the whole a concept of being a lady, like air quotes, yeah. <laughs> it kind of limits you as a woman. It's like, oh, you have to be proper and you can't say like 
bad words and you can't not smile and like all this stuff yeah exactly we we have such a a very defined path for us you Mm -hmm. know we live in a very narrow hallway that Mm -hmm. we can walk down and sometimes we don't even know where the limits are and it's like oh you bumped into it and you get electric shocks yeah (laughs) you know and i really do feel like a rat in a maze sometimes Mm -hmm. um because as she said, these are the expectations. Ladies, especially like in connotation with the old charm schools and mm-hmm. finishing schools like that, coming out parties, yeah. things like that. All of these ideas of, oh, now you hit puberty. I mean, coming out parties is basically getting you betrothed so you can start having pushing out babies. Yeah, <laughs> It's like taking advantage of your fertile years mm-hmm. and the funny thing you know like a lot of these things historically that's been blamed on women like the gender of the child is mm-hmm. actually dependent on men yeah <laughs> you know yeah women were being heard to being killed for these things we're mm-hmm. not delivering the right gender child usually male uh mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> And it's still a big problem, like, it caused, like, in China, like, the disproportionate number of boys to girls. Yes, yes. Did so you see John Oliver? He, he no, yeah, I, I think, when was it? A couple months back, I want to say October or something, he did an in-depth investigation on that because they just ended that policy. Apparently yeah, now yeah. you can have two children. Yeah, well, everyone, because you can only have one child, everyone was either, like, getting rid of or giving up their their girl babies mm-hmm. because everyone wants a boy, but then the problem is if you have no girls, you can't continue the population. Yeah, people don't think that way because they think of their self-interest, and this was especially happening in, in more rural areas and farming areas where they think, oh, the boys could be labor force. Mm-hmm. So, again, it's like, why do you have children? Oh. Yeah, I also remember... I f- I don't want to be wrong about this. Uh, I remember reading about, I think, certain parts of China where because of like the inconsistent numbers of girls to boys, there was like bride kidnapping going on. I think you might have touched on that. I don't remember. Yeah, they, they would, because it, it's kind of like an old tradition, I guess, or something. You steal the bride from her family and then like you ha- she has to marry you and like there are some weird things going on yeah there's it, some cultures that has that but yeah. i don't know if it was china that i think it's about. maybe some of the certain like rural areas yeah, i could, could be wrong be some minority, um cultures has that but i know that like the disproportionate numbers kind of had an effect on that too yeah and th- there's a lot of infanticide in india going on yeah. as well even though there's no real um, yeah whenever they find out they're having girls they get rid of it it's like the yeah. silent um, yeah female genocide yeah 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 um and again it's like uh with all these boys what are you gonna do and one of the things that he talked about in that segment is how popular silicon dolls are now yes yeah, there's not enough women but the f- too many men well not even that it's like how do the men think of women as companions they think of them as possessions i think that's the problem that you have with rape culture like that's the problem like that's the point of my poem too is like men look at women like especially in a patriarchal system where you're kind of taught to value women in a certain mm-hmm. way men look at women as mm-hmm. objects and possessions before they look at them as people yeah. so a if silicone, they ever yeah if they ever look at this so a silicone doll is not too far removed from a woman if you only ever saw her as like a toy right as something that it's actually easier because she, she can't say no back. Yeah. yeah 
it's amazing when he was talking about that in that segment. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, well, if that business is taking off, then how do the men look at women in general, right? Like we're less than human. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I have so many problems about that. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Same. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a never-ending font of yes. ideas, unfortunately. Yeah, it's, it really is. And the way these things are debated as well, it's incremental in terms of, oh, and to what degree can men molest women? Not like, no, you need to get permission before you touch, before you do anything. We're not things for you to just, you know, take a hold of, you know, grab a handful, anything like that. Yet that's not the standard. It's more working off of okay. Now we can't rape them during marriage anymore. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I think like the problem also is that like, like socially and politically, women have to like fight so much harder to have control over their body just in general yeah. for everything. So like, it's not a far stretch as a man to be like, oh, I guess I'm just do this to her because does she really have a say anyway? Right. Exactly. And and societal laws also signals uh, everyday behavior. Mm-hmm. You know. We do have somebody who's a predator, sexual predator. Have a lot of them, actually. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, but you know, now in the in the most powerful position, you know, yeah. still arguably in the world. Yeah, and, unfortunately. Yeah, and to people, it's just not a big deal, as you said. You know, women are seen as possessions. So if you see something as a possession, then what's the big deal? You can do whatever you. Mm-hmm. And that's really the problem. I think that's like the problem that if you like really want to boil like rape culture down to or something really simple, it's the fact that women are not viewed as people. Yeah, that's really what it is. And like then once you start getting into all the intersections of it, like if you're a person of color, if you're trans, if you're part of the LGBTQ community at all, like then you're looked at less and less and less like a human. Yeah, yeah. And there's always a hierarchy, and it's like. Who the fuck are you to put us on some kind of ladder, right? Mm-hmm. But to them, it's like, oh, well, this is how I categorize the world. Mm-hmm. Again, as a society, we need to change the way we view women, period. We need to come from a completely different standard rather than fighting this incrementally, saying, oh, this year we're no longer allowing you know, bosses to ask their <laughs> employees out. <laughs> you know, that's now frowned upon. Don't hit on them. Even if you ask them, you should not be asking because there's a power dynamic. Yeah. Why didn't anybody think of this before? It's not like a new thing, you know? That's true. It's funny because I've been watching Deep Space Nine, Star Trek. I don't know if you know, like, floating on the internet. It's like Simpson or South Park predicted what's going on in 2019, this and that. I haven't seen that, now. Yeah, there are videos on those. And I was watching Deep Space Nine. I was like... Deep Space Nine also predicted 2019. <laughs> <laughs> and there there were some things. I don't know if you're familiar with that show at all. I've heard of it, but I've never no. seen it. Okay, yeah, it's okay. So uh, one of the characters is this money-grubbing little, it's called Ferengi, and they basically go by the principle of money is God. And he was going to be, like, their president. Mm-hmm. And he refused the job on principle because apparently under his dad's presidency, they have put in reforms where the bosses are no longer able to coerce their employees to sleep with them. He was like, then what's the point of that? I 
yeah. I was like, God, this is so amazingly, like, clairvoyantly relevant. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of ironic because the show's premise is that the main character, the lead character of this space station, the leader, even though he's an earthling, he actually is part an emissary for the gods that these people worship. So he came with a lot of creation. Interesting. Yeah, so it was interesting. I have to look. That sounds really interesting, it's actually. Amazon, if you like Star Trek at all. Not the new yeah. new version. The new version is just like any action movie. Yeah, right? I've seen it a little, the new version a little bit. Yeah. Because uh, my mom loves it. Yeah. But it's a little too action-y for me. And I kind of like things that have like, maybe a little action or They have like a storyline, like fantasy, but they have like some kind of social commentary to make too yeah there's more artistry to it when there's something like that going on yeah well all of the comic books all of the star trek they all have social commentary Mm -hmm. the original version star trek is one of the the most progressive shows in its own time because it has such a multi-racial cast it Mm -hmm. was the first show to have a biracial kiss all of these things, it was not very progressive in terms of gender relations. Mm-hmm. Just looking at those skirts, you kind of... And Captain Kirk slept with every female yeah. whatever humanoid-looking yeah. thing that's... <laughs> have, uh, have you ever seen the Orville? The comic strip, right? No, the uh, TV show. No. If you like the Star Trek, like the old ones, you should watch it. Because it's, I mean, it's a modern show, but it makes a lot of like social commentary on like... The use of social media is kind of like the social judge and jury platform mm-hmm. and like on gay and lesbian relationships mm-hmm. and like it has a lot of social commentary that's very relevant to right now. I kind, yeah. kind of feel like it's the modern Star Trek in a way. Cool. Yeah, like you said, comics as well. The X-Men was post-World War II, so it had a lot of commentary on anti-Semitism mm-hmm. and xenophobia mm-hmm. because it portrayed people from different parts of the world as like mutants and fighting for their rights and so it coincided with the civil rights movement Mm -hmm. so there are all of these like really subtle things that was completely lost when it got translated into hollywood movies now it's just like hey a beautiful city let's destroy it in the name of saving it now it's more like it's gotten lost in the whole sci-fi fantasy genre so it's like are you a star wars fan or a star trek fan yeah Star Trek fan. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> but anyway, so <laughs> just in closing, um, I was wondering where people can see you read now that you're here and you're discovering stuff, that. figuring that yeah. out. Okay. It'll okay. probably mostly be around the Phoenix area because uh-huh. that's where I'll be, but I, I haven't found all of the open mics yet. It's going to take me some time to figure it out, but um, I have an Instagram and a Facebook, Woman is Right, for both of them. Woman is Riot. Yeah. Okay. okay. Woman as A. Oh, Woman as Riot. Yeah. And I have a YouTube channel that doesn't have a specific name on it because YouTube won't let me, but it's linked to my Instagram. Oh, cool, cool. So whenever I do open mics, I try to record them, so I'll try to keep posting my videos up there. Cool, cool. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks for inviting me. Be sure to check out the links on the topics we discussed in the episode notes. As always, you can follow us at poetsandmuses.com and on social media via Instagram, Twitter, as well as SoundCloud under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. 
Thank you very much for listening. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.